Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel history according to St. Luke as recorded in chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. To remind you of that account, I will read verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our verse of the day was, Alleluia, our hearts were burning within us while he was speaking to us along the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us. This was spoken by the Emmaus disciples. Recall Emmaus was seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And the Sunday that Jesus rises, the sun is setting and they're walking home. And this stranger comes along. They don't quite recognize him. And he explains everything to them because he asks them what they're talking about. And they're concerned. There's these reports that the Messiah is risen. And they explain it to him. And he goes to their house and, and he breaks bread. And that's when they recognize him. And he disappears. So they beat feet back to Jerusalem. They run, they go to the place where the disciples were meeting. And there's the 11. Judas is no longer a disciple. But we are told by John in last week's lesson, which takes place at the same time that Thomas wasn't there. Now, last week's gospel lesson will take a little while later and go back to Jesus' appearance of Tom. So this is taking place. They're discussing with the Emmaus disciples all the reports that are coming into town. And the sun is set. And all of a sudden, boom, Jesus just appears. The door's locked. He doesn't walk in. He doesn't jimmy the lock. He apparates. On Monday, I was putting new roofing on the parsonage shed. I was up on the roof, and, and I'm in my own world nailing things down. And my wife comes to me. She says, honey, boom, and I almost fell off the roof. It startled me. Imagine, you're in a locked room. Boof, there's the Lord. Wow. But what does he say right away? Peace to you. These would have to be profound words of comfort, although that doesn't quite register with them yet as they would look back. Because put yourself in the feet of the disciples. Three days earlier, they celebrated what we now know as the Lord's Supper, as the Lord institutes it for them. And they all say they're not going to deny him. And one of them goes off and betrays him. And then after that, they all scatter but two. John and Peter go to the high priest's courtyard to watch the kangaroo trial. Peter isn't quite as brave as John. John goes inside, but Peter, he stays out in the courtyard and he denies the Lord three times to save his neck. So then there's just Jesus' best friend, John, who's the only disciple who has enough backbone to come to the cross. And I don't say that condemning the disciples. So can you imagine all of a sudden they forget that the Lord had told them he's going to rise again and everything and all the events occurring on that day that Peter and John get to see the empty tomb and, and Mary Magdalene gets to talk to the risen Lord and all that and, and the Emmaus disciples have showed up. But what's going to happen? We denied the Lord. We didn't hear him saying he was going to rise again. Peace be to you. Should have been profound words of comfort. All is forgiven. All is well. I have secured you in my flock. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ's resurrection should have given them peace. And it will. He's got to work it into them. And in today's sermon, we see Christ's resurrection gives you peace. So after saying peace to you in verse 37, we're told, Yet since they were terrified and since they were in a state of fear, they were thinking they were observing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you having been thrown into turmoil and on account of what are conflicting deliberations arising in your hearts? 
Now, a word I translate as conflicting deliberations, most people translate as doubts, and that's what's going on, they're doubting. But it's the word we get our English word dialogue from. They see the Lord in front of them. They've heard people saying he's risen. They know there's no body to be found in the tomb. What is the logical conclusion? He's risen and is standing before them. But in their minds, they're saying, this cannot be. They're not just doubting. They're having conflicting thoughts inside. He's standing before me and it cannot be. Psychologists call it confirmation bias. When you believe something like political thoughts or whatever so much that even contrary evidence, you'll turn around and make that confirm to what you think. And so they go to an irrational explanation because they won't accept because it defies science that he's standing before them. So the first thing they do, uh, he can't be standing before us. We've heard he's risen. I see him standing before me. It can't be the case. It's got to be a ghost. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, these men knew their scriptures. In the Old Testament, which they had, God had said in Deuteronomy, he banned people. He banned his people from talking to the dead. And later, the Apostle Paul will write that even the devil can masquerade as an angel of light. So usually when people think they're seeing ghosts, it's either their imagination or the devil or one of his demons is fooling them. God bans us from talking to the dead. So scientifically, if, if they're seeing a ghost, then why couldn't they see the risen Lord? Their minds aren't working very well, but spiritually they jump to the wrong conclusion. And they're scared. They're terrified. What's going on? Look at the patience Jesus shows with them. Look at my hands and feet. See that it is I myself. Feel me and look at me because a spirit does not have flesh and blood and bones just as you are observing that I myself continue having them. After he said this, he displayed his hands and feet to them. Then while they were still in disbelief, and now their reason changes from terrified to joy, out of their joy, and while they were still in amazement, he said to them, do you have something here to eat? Then they offered him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in front of them. Jesus doesn't need food anymore. He's, he's now using all the powers of his godhood. But he eats that to show them, because if it was a spirit, it would pass right through the mountain, hit the ground in theory, right? Think about the work he does to give them the peace he's already pronounced upon them. Feel my hands. See my feet. Watch me eat. It is I. It's I want you. I need you to know. And I'm going to put this in you to understand that you are seeing my resurrection. And imagine the peace then that that gives them. Well, God gives you that peace. You see, he went out of his way for those disciples to know that they weren't seeing a figment of their imagination or anything else, any other uh, explanation people have come to. They knew for sure then that they had seen the Lord. And in fact, we're told Thomas wasn't there. He'll appear later to Thomas again with the group. These men who had ran in fear the night Jesus was arrested... They were given the choice, every one of them. The only one that doesn't die a martyr's death is John. John dies of old age, but even he gets exiled to Patmos. All they had to do was to deny what they knew they'd seen, deny that they'd seen the resurrected Lord. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, there have been cult leaders that have come along. And You take Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith was murdered by an angry mob that were fed up of the thievery that he was leading the Mormons at that time to do, of all the problems he was creating. He was a pain in the neck, and they didn't do it legally, but they got fed up of it. These men knew what they had seen. Every one of them lost their lives but one who would be exiled to Patmos, and even he, all he had to do was deny it. 
They knew they'd seen the Lord. So now we think we know better 2,000 years ago and, and people go right back, oh, they were just mistaken, it was groupthink. No, God has given you peace. Peace from conflicting thoughts because your own sinful nature, we have, we have a new man and an old man in us and the old man will say, how can he be risen? The old man will say, ah, maybe Jesus wasn't God like people thought. And we have these conflicting thoughts. So what does he do? He comes to us in his word and in his sacraments. It amazes me that here after this sermon, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and he's going to put something in your belly that in a miraculous way, his body and blood with bread and wine is going to resolve those conflicting thoughts. And the greatest conflicting thoughts you and I have is the old trick of the devil using our sinful nature as his puppet. He used that sinful nature to say, do this sin. It's okay. Nobody will notice. It's no big deal. God doesn't mind. And then we do the sin. And then he gets our conscience to scream at you. How dare you? God could never forgive you for that. Look at how rotten you are. Conflicting thoughts. And then we hear, as we did at the beginning of the service, that Christ has forgiven you. You are a redeemed child of God. Peace. Peace from the conflicting thoughts that should know we're forgiven but don't. And look at the patience He gives you in coming to you all the time giving you His body and blood every time we join in the Lord's Supper, giving you the Holy Spirit in, in the waters of baptism and come to you with that Word. And still there are times we have these conflicting thoughts. We think we can stay away from the Word of God. You know, make it more casual when it's convenient. And look at the patience He shows in calling you back in and saying, no, I have a peace to give you and assure you. And your thoughts are going to conflict, so I come to give you that. Christ's resurrection gives you peace. Peace from conflicting thoughts. This couldn't have happened all the way to, I can't be forgiven. He resolves all of that with His Word and sacraments, that giving you that resurrection through them. Then Jesus said to them, Now these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that it is necessary that all the writings about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms be fulfilled. Now in Jesus' day they divided up the scripture into the writings of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So what he's really saying here is what we call the Old Testament. So let me reread that. Now these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that it's necessary that all the Old Testament be fulfilled. And he says, then he opened their minds so that they would understand the writings. There a miracle takes place. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I have known unbelievers to sit down and read the word of God and not get it. Miss the forest from the trees. I have known unbelievers to sit down and read the Bible and the Holy Spirit works. And then they start having questions. But what he did that day, because they, they had that confirmation bias. They had heard Jesus himself tell them he was going to rise again and they had missed it. So he does a miraculous thing. Not only does he explain, but he puts it in their minds. He removes that confirmation bias. It's important for us to understand that Scripture is fulfilled and that Scripture works. I often at times stand back at awe to think, even though I was raised a Lutheran, even though I had a good catechism pastor, and even though on examination Sunday I was able to give a definition of the gospel and give the explanation to Christ's resurrection, that right out of the catechism from memory, I didn't actually get the gospel. It often amazes me how many years it took for me to understand the difference between gospel motivation and law motivation. Law motivation is you'd better do it. Gospel motivation is God's Holy Spirit has put it in the heart of your new man that he does it while your sinful nature is saying, let's not do it. And we can get confused on that. 
We have a confirmation bias. And you know the confirmation bias that every one of us is born with since Adam and Eve fell into sin is the natural religion of our sinful nature. And that natural religion is the idea that if you want to get something good from God, you've got to do something good for God. We call that work righteousness. And the only thing that's going to remove that is the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. He has to come and open our minds as Jesus did that day with the disciples. And so he continues on. And so he said to them, it has been written in this way, the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Verse 47, literal translation of the inspired Greek uh, says, and a change of mind into release of sins to be preached upon the basis of his name to all nations starting from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, we often translate that Greek word metanomoyo as repentance, but it actually means change of mind. We have a change of mind of letting the sinful nature rule us to that new man. And part of that change of mind is knowing our sins are forgiven. And here it's also a change of disposition. God changes your character. By proclaiming the resurrection, the Holy Spirit enters people's hearts and changes their mind, changes their disposition, so that they now trust in the forgiveness of sins and don't want to sin, and yet trust their sins are forgiven when they do, and... They are now children of God. Their disposition has changed. And that results in the release of sin. Once we have the Holy Spirit in our heart, we have faith, and Christ's death and resurrection becomes ours. And then we get to preach it. He made the people there that day witnesses of those things. And as I said, they went out to the world. And and many of them would die martyrs' deaths rather than deny their Lord. And even their deaths would be witnesses that unbelievers would be converted. But he said that that is to be preached upon the basis of his name. Again, you often hear me say we've got to pay attention to the prepositions in the Greek language. Salvation is on the basis of Jesus' name. And Jesus' name represents everything he does. Christ means he's the only one anointed to save. Jesus, from the Hebrew Yahshua, means Savior. It's not your doing good things for God that saves you. It's God, the God-man Jesus, has saved you. And we preach that. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And if we want to see people in church in that, yes, we show them the law to show them their need for the Savior, but what's going to change their motivation, what's going to give them that change of disposition, is to preach that Christ has changed them, that Christ has risen. That gospel motivation is what will give them the Holy Spirit that brings them to us. And so Christ's resurrection gives you peace, peace from conflicting thoughts, and peace that the scripture is fulfilled. This was put in the Old Testament. Christ had said it to the apostles. And so now, when that sinful nature gives you those conflicting thoughts, you can run right to the scripture and say, nope, Christ is the Savior. It's on His name that I'm saved, on the basis of His work, not my own. I can see it's in scripture, and I see it's fulfilled, and the Holy Spirit has made me know that it belongs to me. And then today's text wraps everything up with verse 49. Jesus says, pay close attention I am sending my Father's promise upon you. Now you yourselves are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from heaven. God had made many promises in the Old Testament. And like in Jeremiah when he says that he would no longer would a man teach another because he would put his law in their hearts. He would also promised an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you want to look, there's many instances in which this is fulfilled, but the one that's clearly there, the most fulfilling one, happens 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. Now, the disciples did go up to Galilee, as Jesus told them, and he appears to them there, but then they go back to Jerusalem. 
And it's on the 50th day, that's Pentecost Sunday, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they get the flaming tongues above them. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has come and thousands are converted that day. The largest conversion into the Christian church, the birth of the Christian church. He had promised the Holy Spirit and he gave it. And that Holy Spirit is what gave those men the power to remember the word Jesus had taught to them, to apply it in their situations and the strength never, never to deny their Lord again. Well, the peace Jesus gives you in his resurrection, knowing his tomb is empty, also gives you peace in God's promises. Because it turns around and tells you words like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It makes you realize that's God's promise to you. And because you believe in Him, you have eternal life. That's peace. It's God's promise that He is the Savior and He's removed your sin. And that gives you peace. It's God's promise to you that Christ's tomb is empty and He's the first fruits, so your tomb someday will be empty too. It's God's promise to you that you are His redeemed child. So again, on the day Jesus rises from the grave after the sun is set and he appears to these people, to the many disciples there in that room, we see Christ's resurrection gave them peace, but it also gives you peace. Peace from the conflicting thoughts, because we have a new man now and an old man, and that old man lies to us a lot. Peace that scripture is fulfilled, so we can be confident that Christ is our Savior, and peace in God's promises, so you know that that baptismal font, God made a promise to you. And he sealed that to you and he plans on keeping it and you can be confident of it. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.